With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, April 10th, 2023. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. If you celebrated, I hope you had wonderful Sidorum. If you celebrated uh, Easter, I hope you had a wonderful Easter. And uh, so do my colleagues here, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And joining us today in Matt Continetti's absence, commentary contributing editor, columnist at the New York Sun, uh, and uh, host of the Reeducation podcast, Eli Lake. Hi, Eli. Great to be back. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we uh, missed uh, Thursday and Friday because of Passover. So we have a lot of stuff to catch up on. Uh, Abe, um, you were having a bit of an existential crisis over the last uh, four days uh, in relation to the hijinks and fighting and craziness in uh, Tennessee uh, at the state legislature, where, of course, three Democrats, two, three Democrats were put in the docket and two Democrats were expelled elected Democrats from the Tennessee uh, state house of representatives for um, their behavior on the house floor relating to a bill on guns. And uh, in the midst of which there was a protest in the state house uh, in which uh, we had yet another in mo moment of media coverage in which the reporters were saying, oh, look how peaceful it is while showing video of people yelling and screaming and rampaging and looking psychotic uh, in the hallways with uh, officers of the, I guess, the Nashville Police Department, but I'm not sure, like pushing back and trying to hold people at, at doors and things like that. Uh, so it was another one of those stand, stand back. There's nothing to see here scenes with. Frank Drebin of police squad standing there while the fireworks factory explodes behind him. Uh, two, so two legislators were expelled. And uh, the, I would say the entire world of considered opinion thought, okay, Republicans have gone too far. They're acting crazy. You can't just expel a, an elected official. Uh, and that was my general view but uh, that was before I did some research into what these, who the two people who were expelled were and are and what they did. And I think that's also what has unnerved Abe. That's unnerved you a little, right? 
Well, I have to say, I've, I've kind of resolved my crisis uh, mostly here. But yeah, my the, but the, the, the crisis consisted of the the fact that um, on the one hand, I think uh, how OK, when does the sort of extra political activity of politicians stop? Um, what is that which is which constitutes a sort of threat to the good working order of governance itself? Um, so maybe the thing to do is to crack down on it when people bring okay, I think we need to explain there sure. for people who may not be have not been paying attention what what uh Mr. Jones um and his colleague whose name I can't remember at this moment what what it was that they did that caused them to be expelled the general sense you would get is that they held political opinions on guns that were that that Republicans wanted to punish them for and that's that's not right i mean it is i think partially right but it's uh, that's 10 percent, and 90 percent went with their went to their personal conduct last week but also conduct dating back to before they were actually elected representatives and were instead just activists hanging around the state house right so jones uh was a nashville activist and at one point while he was hanging around the state house being an activist threw an iced tea in the face of i guess the speaker of the house who is no longer speaker of the house uh and was one of these guys who screamed at people yelled at people came up to them in the hallways and kind of you know abused them verbally and uh his election it it, it strikes me that the that the uh the fact that he was finally elected to office meant that Republicans in the state house were already like loaded for bear. It would be like a version of, you know, Al Sharpton in 1990 getting elected to the New York state assembly or to the New York city council or something like that. And uh, the idea being that everybody was on like high alert because there was this goon, uh, and a crazy person and radical who was now in their midst and they didn't know what on earth he was going to do. And so they got onto the floor of the state house last week and started screaming through bullhorns um, to disrupt the good working order of a legislative session. Yeah. They just completely took it over. Um, they 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 treated it as uh, activists from outside of 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 the body would have would have treated it in, in sort of in hopes of getting arrested or something you know I mean they 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 came in and screamed through bullhorns um, you know after after sending out messages that they that they they had been silenced um, on on the issue um, so there are rules to how these bodies function for, for very good reason because when decorum breaks down. Uh, in these in these bodies, overheated issues, um, they cease to work, um, and you end up with the 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 sort of the the kind of images that that you know we used to laugh at uh, you know a few years ago when we would see sort of you know uh, par- parliamentary bodies in Eastern Europe or or wherever else sort of you know beating each other up and you know he- tackling one another and hitting each other over the head. Um, but this has been an ongoing issue uh, here now 
uh, in our sort of new age. Uh, it reminds me of AOC getting arrested at the Capitol, you know, protesting also as if she's not, uh, you know, if, if she if if she is not part of the government herself. Um, so the the crisis, John, that you referred to that I was sort of having was, well, we have to crack down on this. This is not this is this is sort of more evidence of the wheels coming off. Um, so it's a good idea um, to expel them. But then I thought, well, that's extreme in itself. Uh, and perhaps another uh, data point in the story about the wheels coming off. Um, and that goes too far. And I and I have sort of ended up on the on the side of they should have been censured or taken off uh, committees or something of that sort, if for no other reason than because um, this has elevated these two, uh, Justin and Justin, um, into national figures. Um, uh, it has it has um, completely um, sort of like validated their their cause and their and their actions in the public mind. Um, and it is what it really comes down to, I think, is, is another example of the right these days just taking the bait, just just being just just being the sort of the best targets for trolling ever, um, because they, they are they are sort of guaranteed to to respond in the extreme um, until they lose public sympathies. And then it has happened again. So, see, I, I I shared Abe's existential crisis when we were texting about this. Um, I I am now where Abe is. Also, I think they absolutely should have been censored. I think expulsion is extreme. However, that there there's a couple of other things going on here that I think are important to know. One is that Kamala Harris got herself on a plane, flew down there and started doing photo ops and releasing tweets that say things like, today, I stood with parents, students and the Tennessee Three. So now they have like this name, evidently, that she's branded them as. When she, no one from that administration could get on a plane and get down to to Tennessee to sit with grieving parents whose children had been shot a week earlier. Great like point. that's that didn't happen. Great point. Right. So that that's one thing. So that you have this entire you have literally the entire Democratic Party instantly assuming and accepting and embracing a narrative and promoting it through the office of the vice president. So that I think. Un understandably, Republicans in, in Tennessee were like, well, heck, you know, I mean, it, game on. And I, I agree that they should not have expelled them. But the but we have this activist legislator problem, AOC, a perfect example today. You know, she made news over the last few days uh, calling for uh, the impeachment of a Supreme Court justice. But there are two other um, one other data point I want to raise uh, that's kind of a broader thing, which is this issue, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, about the idea of righteous use of violence, political violence. Having a righteous cause is enough to justify using physical force. Um, that was the argument of the January 6th people. It was wrong then. It's wrong for these people to disrupt a legislative body and to, to call on crowds to come and shove at cops and try to force their way into a, into a legislative chamber. You know, over in San Francisco uh, recently, we just had a, a a female athlete who argues against trans women in sports get absolutely get sucker punched by a man wearing a dress and held basically captive for a few hours in a room with some security guards trying to get her out and they couldn't get her out safely. And this was a mob. This was mob violence, politically motivated, and they felt completely righteous in doing this, in trapping someone who was just making an argument that they didn't like. So you see uh, the extreme uh, response to 
to arguments that you don't like, whether it's about gun control, about, you know, biological men and female sports. It should we're we're getting to a point where righteous use of violence or force is becoming justified by the left in a way that it has dangerously been on the right for far too long. And that that's something that I think the media isn't playing its role. The mainstream media isn't p- playing its role in highlighting that um, situation. It's the Palestinization of American politics, which is to say what the classic move of the Palestinians has been is that if you go too far on whether it's the Temple Mount or something else, the street will explode in violence and terror. And that has been part of an implicit threat as part of what's been known as the Oslo process and even before. Um, and there's a certain kind of sense where it's like, you know, if, 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 if you don't do anything about gun control after this mass shooting, then what do you expect? You've, you've, you've invited the whirlwind. And that is the logic that will destroy our republic. Thank you. It's by the way, <clears throat> let's also talk about the bait and switch aspect of what's going on in Tennessee. There was this monstrous, dreadful mass shooting. Yes. At the Covenant Christian School that, uh, as you say, no official, as we know, of the White House or the Biden administration uh, decided to um, make a showing at a funeral or give a speech or anything like that. Uh, And the killer was somebody who claimed to be transitioning uh, or, you know, was now a woman, but it was now man. I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, that fact, we still haven't seen the manifesto, by the way, disturbed, the right, that a highly disturbed, obviously evil, uh, sick, whatever you want to call it person, uh, shot seven, uh, I guess killed six. I can't remember the numbers. The numbers don't matter. Um, it was a, monstrous event three children three adults okay and it was about something it appears we don't exactly know what but it was about something and it wasn't and you can and it was about we understood after previous events dylan roof that was white supremacy the shooting in buffalo that was white supremacy we have here somebody an unusual figure in the in the annals of of serial of mass shooting uh, a female a biological female uh doing it which is um almost unprecedented um and uh, somebody who was in the midst of a uh trendy <coughs> sociological behavior shall we say and the entire focus of the aftermath shifted to the threat to trans people from the fact that uh, she had committed this crime and that therefore other trans people would somehow be at risk of being killed because of that. There's a whole thing about how trans people are just at constant risk, right? Either from suicidality because they're not accepted and people are treating them meanly or because people will actually outright kill them. And, uh, that becomes the focus of the Biden administration's actions last week in writing new regs about athletes and athletic and college athletes using Title IX to force or compel 
educational institutions not to ban uh, cross-sex at birth people from men from born male participating in female sports and and therefore having a physical advantage that is insurmountable uh, under under ordinary circumstances. And we're not talking about the dead people at the Covenant School, which also happens to be a Christian school <clears throat> and kind of a high-end Christian school. And my presumption is that the Biden administration looked at this and said, no good can come of our getting too involved here. The parents will yell at us or will say we don't like Biden and you know we don't like your policies on this stuff and what about trans stuff but they've taken an event that is only tangentially about their issues and they are shoehorning their issues into it and we haven't seen the manifesto written by or the evidence that the police adduced to say that there was something about her transness that had played a role in the shooting Whereas in other cases where there were politically or sociologically motivated shootings, we are presented with the evidence very readily. Although not course, just the evidence very readily, we are presented with a fallacious argument that the behavior of an outlier and, and a violent extremist is in some ways caused by a mainstream figure on the right. I'm not a fan of Tucker Carlson, but Tucker Carlson had absolutely nothing to do with the mass shooting last year in uh, Buffalo because this guy's manifesto had the word replacement theory in it. It's just, but this was a blanketed, the coverage of it, and we see it time and again, where when the, the shooter can be somehow affiliated with something that's on the right, then everybody on the right is somehow responsible. And when now we have an example of something that's kind of on the left and it's like, how dare you blame this? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's yet again, it's another double standard of how this, how we sort of process this. Also, and it, you know, let me, let me throw you something that Matt Connetti said last week uh, in that he is reminded of Trump and the Muslim ban and the Pulse shooting and the San Bernardino shooting. If you remember, right. in late 2015, there was a shooting at the Pulse uh, nightclub yes. in Orlando by, as it turns out, a radical Islamist. And um, uh, the two, two responses were not to blame radical Islamism, but to say that he was some kind of a homophobe shooting up a gay nightclub because he himself had urges and he was shooting himself and shooting other people, 49 people. Um, and that Trump's response was to say, we got to get all of these Muslims out of the country. Politically, who won that fight? Now, in culturally, you would say that the fight was won by the people who tried to shift it away from being an Islamist attack inside the United States toward an advancement of the argument that homophobia is murderous. Politically, Trump won the fight without question. Not only did he win the fight within the Republican Party, you can arguably say, as I think um, Matt said, you can arguably say that this was one of these subcurrents throughout the year 2016 tied to his views on immigration, uh, you know, bullhorned them, made them something more important 
and that here we have the effort to claim that a <clears throat> that a uh, uh, psychotic psychopathic uh, trans person's murder spree at this Christian school is about something other than it's about, and and Trump is just vulgar enough and uh, transgressive enough to refuse to play this game. Right. Uh, one more social incident involving a trans person's misbehavior, and Trump will say we need to ban all trans people until we know what the hell is going on, and the entire world will explode, and this silent majority of people very unnerved by the rise of this ideology. Uh, we were talking about this again on our, on our, uh, on our internal uh, texting. So uh, if you have the commentary drinking game, you can now, you know, you can have a bingo of, of, of us talking about our, our, uh, our text chain. Um, the, the, the rapidity with which, uh, transness has become the dominating socially progressive idea of our time is kind of staggering. The first major piece to be published in a major U.S. publication saying, why aren't we being nicer to trans people, was published in 2011 by Eliza Gray in The New Republic. That was ten, 11 and a half years ago. And here we are 11 and a half years later, and this, this, uh, I don't know what you would call it here, but th this tiny sliver of a tiny sliver of people who a lot of us believe are mentally ill and are be are having their mental illness encouraged and um, supported and supplicated by a a culture that is in love with whatever is new and advances and uh, ideology that is destructive of old ways that um that that we're now 11 and a half years into this and the president's press secretary uh is talking about how uh, a week after a transgender person shot up a school about how uh, transgender people need to fight uh i don't know i mean there's an interesting thing here because and you mentioned that it's interesting about 11 years ago was the first article saying you know we should treat but there were trans people in america there have been trans people in america for probably 60 years sure you go back to andy warhol's the factory myra breckenridge by gore vidal and what there was for a long time and you can find this in the lyrics of lou reed's uh, song walk on the wild walk side is this celebration that trans people were not just a counterculture, they were like openly celebrating their freakness, which is to say, we know that we are not going to get a job in the square world, and we love that about it. And it used to actually be something that would be about, you know, sort of it was gay truly life. transgressive. Right. But there you go. Exactly. And that yeah. what the difference was is that there there really are far more gay people that just want to have normal lives. And that was like Andrew Sullivan's big thing in the 90s versus i mean we and we assume that trans people would want to follow in the same footsteps i'm not saying that there aren't trans people who who don't and i want to make that very clear but it's a smaller kind of pool of people and it's an interesting question because in some ways this current movement is erasing 
the original trans identity, if you want to look at it like that from a cultural right. perspective. Well, it's also trying to erase gay identity. I mean, talk well, that to, too. I mean, sure. This is this is the part of it that is so astonishing to me that a lot of the sort of gains and acceptance in society of you know things like gay marriage, all that there there is a real push to radicalize the gay community, and those who resist are treated as like right wing Christians, for example. Right. I mean, it's not it, it is an ideological movement. It's deeply deeply drenched in misogyny. It's it's really something that that i mean it it has radicalized a lot of people on various parts of the political right. spectrum i've talked to more radical uh left-wing folks who are kind of as they're not just unsettled they're kind of like what do we do with this and the fact that the biden administration has given it mainstream democratic endorsement means a lot of those folks don't feel comfortable saying anything about it and that endorsement has come very swiftly without much thought and has been pushed by an activist class that I think we'll come to regret it down the line. But when these events happen, when you have something like this, this horrible kill, these killings of children in, in Tennessee, they literally don't know what to say. So they ignore it. And the media plays along by ignoring it as well. Well, it's this remarkable simultaneous moment right now where um, people like in the, the the White House and the Biden administration and a whole slew of corporations um, are are sort of putting on the full court press in this pro-trans movement at the exact same moment that it's become very clear that an enormous number of Americans are unsettled by this. Poll after poll shows they do not want biological males competing with females in sports. They don't they 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 think that that uh all told efforts have gone too far in terms of mainstreaming uh, uh, the, the the trans movement. They don't believe in what's happening in schools where teachers are where and administrators can sort of assign your child a, a different identity, unbeknownst to you. Um, so it is they, these two forces are sort of opposing at 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 the height of of each of their vehemence. Um, we've and, go, we've gone from. Fighting literally, like if you look at like the history of the of the gay rights movement, fighting like in Stonewall for the right to just assemble, fighting to have to exist as a culture, which I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I realize I don't I'm not speaking for anyone but me, but like I think that's I think that's a consensus view at this point that they they should to like we have to teach elementary school kids about leather bars. And that is bizarre because right. they're two very different things. One is like you're a grown up and you should be able to do what you want to do with your body. And great. OK, that's America. And then the other one is, wait a second, I'm not signing up for your crazy indoctrination agenda. What, what are you talking about? Right. Well, it's normalizing. It's normalizing the, the the sort of the transgressive element of movements that. that well, then actually, it's, by the way, it's no right. longer transgressive. The new right. transgressive are the turfs and the like dissident gays. Right. And and straights and breeders. Breeders are going to be that's that's what's going to happen in 50 but years. That, by the way. There's going to be a new right. straight bar in Stonewall and yeah. it's going to be beat up by the trans cops yeah. and there's going to be a rebellion. Well, the rebellion Watch. takes the form of <laughs> uh, the American culture is Winston Smith and the right. cultural overlords are um, Agent O'Brien. Yeah. And we are being taken into a room and we are being told that when it comes to the idea that your gender is assigned at birth rather than by your chromosomes, 
And until we are going to torture you until you leave this room saying that two plus two equals five, you will say two plus two equals five, or we will let the rats eat your brain. Uh, a lot of people are going to give in and be Winston Smith and say they love Big Brother. In fact, a lot of people already have given. And in interestingly, and by the way, Orwell's novel, Orwell's novel does posit that in that in this horrible dystopian future, heterosexual sex is a kind of deviant and, de and dissident act. Right. So yeah. what we have here is that's a lot of people and a lot of people will, of course, where Orwell missed the boat. I mean, not 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 uh, metaphorically, but was the discovery, at least toward the end of the Soviet regime, that nobody believed it, that in right. fact the indoctrination efforts had created a world of utter cognitive dissonance in which people said one thing, but uh, at home knew entirely different, knew that they were living in a dystopian nightmare but certainly he sort of he captured it as the in, in an individual sense he didn't understand the impact right. on a society because exactly. winston so smith is a double right. thinker i mean yes. he, by the definition yeah yes so here's where we are in relation to this ideology which is and this is where matt's analogy to trump in 2016 is important because people understand that they are advocating and thinking and speaking things that are transgressive of the new cultural elite norm and so they're not going to be walking around with flat you know the number of people who are going to be activists on behalf of the traditional uh view of what men and women are and how society is aren't going they're not going to be out in the streets in the millions but that doesn't mean that they are not going to vote and vote possibly in the most reckless and irresponsible way because those are the only people who are going to say anything that properly reflects their deepest and most passionately held views. And by um, just one, one other point about language, which I think yeah. is really important, which is that it is playing on the similar thing that the Ibram X. Kendi crowd does, which is that we are now at a point in our culture where everybody agrees that racism is abhorrent. And that wasn't true 50 years ago. And so there, it's like getting away with the power of framing the issue as if like, you don't believe trans kids have a right to exist, which is no, no one is saying that, or maybe very few people are actually saying that as a cover to, for all of these other things that have to do with indoctrination in the education system, accepting uh, trans, you know, biological men and women's sports and down the line, all of it is subsumed under the idea that if you don't accept these other things, then you are negating the existence of trans people and you know you're you're in a you're you're a bigot and an eliminationist it's it's exactly like the argument that if you are against the teaching of critical race theory right. that means you don't exactly. want that you don't want your children to learn about the history of slavery well right. it's a style of discourse it's like a, this, it's, yeah. we have to end that style of discourse 100%. well this but this started law i mean i i remember the first time uh actually it was that jonathan last explained to me what it meant to be cis i was like what is this i keep seeing this popping up here and there he's like oh this is the beginning of a new thing where you're not the the vast majority of men and women are no longer men and women 
you're a cis man, you're a cis woman. And it struck me at that. I was very unnerved by it and I couldn't understand why. So the more I thought about it, the more I realized, wait a minute, what? This is not like a polite nod to wanting to call someone Ms. versus Mrs. or Miss. Right. This was, a, this was an actually radical effort to make the vast majority of men and women kowtow to the idea that uh, your biological reality is just a choice. It's just an identity you can you can take on and off at will, and we should start at ever younger ages to teach that to children. And and that's wrong. I mean, I just think that's completely wrong. So, so we have this ideology that is now speaking to uh, uh, breaking down and atomizing <clears throat> American culture so that the, yeah, 95% of people who are cis are suddenly minor are suddenly parts of simply groupings uh, right. on a spectrum uh in which uh you know being trans or being a trans person changing your gender from male to female and then being in a relationship with a female uh that's that's one thing and then being in a, a heterosexual couple is another and the fact that 95% of people are in heterosexual couples and 0.001% of people are in this I I I had my penis cut off and now I'm living with a woman anyway uh that they're all equal that every that everybody is sort of the same on this very small percentage actually right. have the surgery it's yes. just important so to know that <laughs> right so we are we are talking about a, a, a breakdown uh you know a, a redefinition of how society works and i want to now go back to something that we a lot we skipped over fast which was the thing that began abe and christine's existential crisis about whether or not obviously elected legislators should not be expelled from representing the people that who elected them except in the most extreme of circumstances but um sociologically what happened when these two Justins, Pearson and Jones, uh, and and uh, not not uh, Ms. Johnson, who was not expelled, uh, but was one, but was sort of a supporter of theirs, but didn't but, have a so, bullhorn either. That was the other right, big thing. Right. She didn't do the bullhorn, right? Okay, so here we have a world in which people get themselves elected to represent people, and. Uh, and then they don't represent people. They believe that their purpose is to blow up the institutions of which they have become a part. I mean, Justin Jones basically said, I'm here to fight. And since I'm not going to win this legislative battle, so you fight. What part of the thing about fighting is that you lose fights that you're in. Fighting doesn't mean you win. Fighting means you have a chance of winning, but you lose. And so they don't want to lose, and they don't calculate it this way. So you're going to stand there with a bullhorn, which is what you do if you are an objector in the balcony trying to prevent, you know, your, your code pink screaming at a congressional hearing because you can't get your views heard. Your views are by definition being heard if you are a member of a legislative body. It's just that your views aren't going to prevail in this vote. 
It's, but you know, this is what makes the, the 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 Tennessee saga so interesting, because it merges so many of the of these issues that are happening right now. Because John, what you're describing, um, that sort of approach to quote fighting, where where you have to win and you have to go around whatever the normal procedure, that is the kind of language that anti-gun activists use when they talk about it, it in in the wake of every shooting it is like well uh our legislators won't do anything they won't do anything so we must act we must sort of do this some some other thing um and and part of what happened in in tennessee is the sort of manifestation of that too um, well and it, the, it, yeah. and and the rule when they get a when they lose let's when they have a take a political loss so in Texas just just uh its court uh, ruled on on abortion pills and the left went wild so it's not just guns it's abortion as well and AOC and other and lots of mainstream media folks and 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 other uh sort of squatty types have said Biden should just ignore this rule. Like we, they should just ignore this ruling. Ignore the ruling. It's the same logic of well, we don't like who who the Republicans nominated and got on the Supreme Court. So let's either pack the court or ignore the court. There and again, this is totally mainstream on the left, and it's mainstream in journalism. It is not the same thing as January six. It's important to have our our you know understand the gradations here. But the principle of we don't like what the process gave us. So let's let's just not respect the process at all unless it goes our way if it doesn't go our way then it's illegitimate that is the logic of the of the election deniers it's the same logic it's like we didn't get what we wanted so the whole system is crap so let's just ignore it destroying the democracy in order to save it exactly look that's what it is i really believe that a Rubicon or the Rubicon. I guess you don't can't have a Rubicon because there's only one yeah, Rubicon, right, right, right. right? But it's the plural so of Rubicon. Rubicon. Rubicon was crossed, <laughs> but that's like saying a Nile was crossed or you know a, a a a Mississippi River was crossed. But the Rubicon was crossed in this regard when Obama said we can't wait. When the President of the United States said, "I no longer have control of both houses of Congress and a veto-proof majority in the Senate." But there are policies that I want to enact and that I think are important. So I'm going to do it anyway. And it is important to note that until that happened, I have a pen and a phone and we can't wait, which was 2013. Uh, no president had ever said anything remotely comparable to that before. And it was a Pandora, it was a it was a Pandora's box moment. Well, I mean, not exactly like that, but certainly when FDR tried to pack the Supreme Court. FDR tried to pack the Supreme Court. That was legal. Okay, was I know. I, in the but it was at the time, everybody was saying, you've really violated a norm. Buddy. But this wasn't a violation of a norm. What I see what you're saying. You're Obama saying it was said, I am going to do something unconstitutional. I am going right. to legislate from the White House. Because I have a pen and a phone, so I will write executive action, executive orders, and treat them as though they're law. Right. Now, executive orders are treated as though they're law. They govern the behavior of the executive branch. That is what an executive order is. He was attempting to revise the way in which the, gov the governed consent to their governance by saying that the president has an equal power to the legislature— 
to enact what are effectively laws. And Didn't I think Nixon do a version of that by claiming that he wasn't going to spend money for programs that Congress had appropriated. That at one was point. legal. Okay. At the time, all right. All right. that was rescission. To... Rescission was illegal. They had to write. Then they law made it illegal. Banning right. rescission. Right. right. Okay. So there was there was no. Okay. There was no um, until until when Nixon's when, when that had been done as a matter of course, I believe, until that time uh, on the margins. In fact, to help keep the budget relatively in balance. But but also beyond the the question of legality. Um, it's what you're talking. It's unique, and and it's and it speaks to what's happening now because the point is, I'm going to get my way, no matter what other people say, no matter what the the system demands. Right. Um. This is how we're going to do it, and that that has. You're right. That has been the logic that has prevailed since. Look, it's terrible to lose. It is terrible to lose, particularly if you are convinced, as many liberals are in this country, and as many conservatives are, that. Some of these elections, some of these decisions are irrevocable and that we are heading down a path to the destruction of our democracy or our culture. We're now seeing that that has been that idea has been exported. It right now is the center and source of this 14 week demonstration frenzy in Israel which uh, is asserting the same thing, which is that the right won the election fair and square, but it's so horrifying what it is that they want to do that we are going to, you know, we can't stand having lost this. Now, I'm not saying you can't protest. Everybody can protest. Protest is part of our system and part of every democratic system as long as you don't get violent and as long as you don't impede, you know, the regular working order of your day-to-day institutions and let people go to work and send their kids to school and all of that. That's all I think it's pointless and useless, but okay, fine. Um, But again, there is some bizarre thing where somebody gets elected to office, is in office, standing in the state legislative chamber where the decision is finally made, is there to vote the way they promised the people who elected them to vote, just like Everybody else in that same chamber is there to vote the way they're the people who elected them wanted them to vote. And it's okay for them to vote the way they want to vote, but it is not okay for the other people who were voted in to represent the interests of their constituents. They're not allowed to cohere and secure a majority. That's bad because what they think is bad. And what they think is bad must be stopped. And I'll and if you can't stop it with a vote, you'll stop it with a bullhorn. And we are. This is you. You like said like we're. Are we on the verge of losing our democracy? I don't know. There's a lot of ruin in a nation. I'm not right? saying we're on the verge, but I'm saying it's the uh, the idea that in order to save the democracy, I have to destroy the democracy. It's like yeah. the yeah. Anyway, the logic of all this is that uh, support for the institutions of our country, and I don't mean now the institutions that aren't governmental. I'm talking about, you know, meaning universities and whatever, where where there's a lot of rot and ruin and revolution, you know, sort of revolutionary change may be necessary. But support for the institutions as built in this ext- astonishing thing that we call our constitution and our legal system and all of that, that, um, you know, has now become conditional. The president of the United States 
said that I can violate the way laws are passed because I, you know, we can't wait to get, I don't know even what, I can't remember what it was he wanted. We can't wait to get some people to get legal, you know, to be uh, uh, immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So that's, that's good enough to blow up 240 years of American freedom and and built on the foundation of this indirect system of governance that is there to secure individual liberty really for this policy so go convince people and have your have the legislators change their minds and go convince the public and then it'll happen and nobody will nobody will say boo okay so i'm now in my i'm now completing this rant so you know it's like if Saul Alinsky becomes the head of the, you know, becomes a legislator in, you know, in Springfield, Illinois, instead of an agitator in Hyde Park, what does he do? Does he sit there and attend the committee meetings and, you know, help work on markups and, you know, vote and lose on radical pieces of legislation? No, presumably he would also use a bullhorn when nothing else was you know what what was at hand because the purpose is not is not to win fair and square the purpose is to win however you can win and and i just just to add to the rant cuz uh, there's a cultural that's the political uh, avenue that's being uh, exploited there's the cultural avenue being exploited is in a way uh, it's just as pernicious because there aren't any clear systems in place to fight it and and again as a woman seeing like this trans activist Dylan Mulvaney you know basically do a parody of womanhood and be celebrated for it and anyone who criticizes that being told as a woman you're not allowed to criticize him he's a woman just like you he's celebrating day 365 of girlhood and watching him make a mockery of of what it means to be a woman makes me very upset. And if anyone did that with race, it would be instantly visible to everyone that that is offensive. Um, he is doing a version of like blackface, but with women are doing it yeah, with race, right? That's Rachel. Well, but uh, they're trying to pass. They're, right. Okay. Yeah. They're, yeah. And they're actually called out for it. So uh, as a woman, that's I see him doing that. And women, half of the population is expected to sit back and just applaud that or just say nothing about it. No, it's wrong. It's what he's what he's doing is exploiting what it means to be a woman and mo- making a mockery of womanhood in a way that look Bud Light can can pay him to do that, but there is a the cultural pressure to say nothing and to not say that's offensive to me as a woman, which it is. The cultural pressure not to say that is quite vast even among people who don't even have, you know, skin in the game, who aren't really offensive in- to me as a beer drinker. <laughs> Fair enough. But you should and, not be drinking right. Bud Light anyway. So, can I just add one one thing? I mean, to what you were saying, um, it's a quote, and it's part of my research for an upcoming uh, re-education podcast. But I want to just share a quote that I think sums up the attitude of the two Justins. Protest is when I say I don't like this. Resistance is when I put an end to what I don't like. And those are the words of Ulrika Meinhof. So, careful what you wish for, buddies. Woof. I mean, that I'm just saying good. that's the attitude, is it not? That the is attitude good. is like protest is what I, yeah. you know. Okay, then, so let's talk about yeah. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I keep I don't know what to do here. I think I have to do vocal exercises before we do the podcast, like like I did when I was briefly an actor. I think I'm gonna have to go more, more, more out like that so I don't clear my throat. We keep getting emails about how I clear my throat. I apologize for clearing my throat. 
I don't know what to do because when I'm losing my voice, what else am I supposed to do? Anyway, let's not make this about me, but make it about Alvin Bragg. So let's talk about the resistance in Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg, of course, the Manhattan DA brought the uh, indictment. Uh, listen to Eli's re-education podcast. He has a 10-minute monologue at the beginning of it this week uh, that is a fantastic summa of Thank the you. problem uh, with the Alvin Bragg uh, indictment. Uh, I think uh, the longer that we go on here, uh, the more uh, it is, uh, when you read the pieces, they're an effort to defend uh, the indictment. Like, sorry, haters, but there's a lot here. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. I, right? It's a, there's right. a lot of that. And the problem with it is that, granted, we don't spend our days reading indictments. But when you read an indictment, and there are 34 separate crimes alleged in the indictment and they are cut and pasted one from the other from the other from the other with dates changed and in some cases no dates changed in an effort to say that one crime which was one supposed crime which was the uh the reimbursement of michael cohen of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for paying off Stormy Daniels, which he had to do with his own money. So if he's going to take money back from the Trump organization or from Trump himself to pay him back, he's going to have to pay taxes on it. So it has to be doubled. So the one crime, which is reimbursing Michael Cohen, supposedly crime, for paying off Stormy Daniels is actually 34 separate crimes. So congratulations on this absolutely preposterous claim that if you pay someone off uh, over the course of 11 months in 30, this is actually uh, 34 separate crimes. But installments make these separate crimes. Okay, fine. So I don't read indictments. Maybe all indictments are like this, but I kind of doubt it because I have read indictments in my life and they didn't read like this one. I was looking for like one change of phrase and, you know, paragraph charge 22 from charge three, and there was no change of phrase. All right. So the resistance, uh, we were talking on Wednesday about how people were getting very unnerved from Ruth Marcus to various, uh, to Van Jones to Andrew McCabe. We're getting very unnerved by how weak the, uh, the indictment was and the narrative was, but, uh, Eli, you wanted to talk about the people who were who have been resisting the idea that this <laughs> act of resistance uh, is problematic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's just security and lawfare. It's Andrew Weissman. It's like all the MSNBC, former Justice Department, former FBI people. I mean, McCabe is at CNN, and he's the one exception. Andrew Weissman was basically the uh, the guy who ran the Mueller investigation. Yeah, more or less. He also was the guy who was rebuked in a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court for his prosecution, which destroyed Arthur Anderson, the consulting company. I mean, the uh, the accounting firm. Yeah. Um, and um, I think he's really, you know, he, he he will go down in the annals of American legal history as one of the most abusive prosecutors that we've seen and somebody who really does believe in this idea. I got into this a little bit in um one of the Russiagate pieces I did for commentary about how, you know, nobody was enforcing the foreign agents law. And then Weissman comes in and says, wait a second, it says here I can threaten people with, you know, 10 years in jail. Let's do it. And 
There was no guidance to people about it. And so people who would normally be kind of like a slap on the wrist, maybe uh, a fine, but usually just a paperwork kind of violation, were being threatened with years and years in jail. Um, and Weissman had no problem with this. And that's his approach to things. And here, of course, he's on MSNBC, not only defending this incredible, you know, just concoction, this pretextual uh, attempt to just get Trump, um, but he's 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 noting to the to, to the MSNBC viewers. Also, you know, the judge has an obligation to make sure that if he thinks there's incitement of any kind, he he can put a gag order on Trump. I'm like, the guy is running for president. I don't want him to win the primary. But are you, you know, like you just want to I just feel like it's one of two things. He's really either a, a very cynical person who is willing to, in his own way, as a media personality, just drive us over the abyss into, you know, whatever hellscape we're headed. Or he's a moron. Uh, he's a highly educated idiot, which is to say he's somebody who is a, is a law degree, but has no s street sense. He has no sechel, to use the Yiddish phrase. Uh, he word. can't be both. It's but yeah, maybe he's both. I was right. going to okay. say, why not both? <laughs> yeah, why not? But I'm just saying, like, what are you thinking? You want to have a judge like gag Trump in a in a lawsuit that nobody except for you and your like little coffee clatch of former Comey, uh, you know, guys think it has any merit at all. OK, this can we talk about the judge for a minute? Because I hate attacks on judges and I think they're really yeah. dangerous. That really is where we get into Banana Republic stuff when judges. Right. Are targeted I agree. For, OK. However. This judge is a Biden donor and yep. his daughter was a senior official on Kamala Harris's presidential campaign and then on the Biden-Harris campaign. Now, does that mean that there is a legal remedy for Trump in getting a new judge or something like that? Does it mean that he can't be fair? No, I don't believe so. And I don't. I believe as a he is allowed to donate to whomever he donates and that we should assume that he will be fair. But there is a Caesar's wife situation here. We have an unprecedented prosecution of a former president. Get somebody clean. He should not be the judge presiding on this case. This is absolutely terrible. And I don't care whether it's fair to him or not fair to him. If you're going to have a proceeding, it's got to look as above board as humanly possible. Bragg's an elected Democratic official. Judges in New York State are also elected. I understand all that. This is a terrible look. The only way that this look comes out looking to tens of millions of people like Trump wasn't simply railroaded by Democrats is if he dismisses the case. Yeah. Well, he I would go dismiss one the case. Yeah, go ahead. It, also, it would be nice if there was profound reputational harm done to Alvin Bragg. When are these prosecutors who go out on a limb on this stuff going to have some sort of consequence for their actions? I mean, listen, I'm not it's like and it's I I, I kind of agree. Like Jonah was talking about, I, I understand there's a karma element here with Trump and Trump is reprehensible in so many ways. I don't like defending him. I don't want him to be the president. I don't want him to be the nominee for the Republicans. It's not the point. It is not the point. The point is we're at a really perilous moment where there are millions of Americans who do not believe that our justice system is fair and our justice system is any way equitable and our justice system will give anyone who is a Republican or not like, you know, an insider, a fair shake. 
And here is Alvin Bragg and the echo chamber of former prosecutors that are puffing this up, that are proving the point. And it's like, when are they going to suffer some sort of reputational harm? Because it strikes me that Bragg would have suffered more politically had he done the responsible thing and said, there's no case here, I can't bring it, I'm sorry, than doing what he's doing now, which is probably to bring a case that he will at some point surely lose. You know, the funny thing is that that job has in 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 his historically has been held by people, his job, the Manhattan DA's job, yeah. by people who serve for an extraordinarily long time, a very, very long time, not just uh, Robert Morgenthau, but Cyrus Vance, who who served it, I don't know, for 15 years, something like that. I can't even remember how long Morgenthau served for 30, 35 years. The person before like Bragg had nothing to fear. It's not like he was again primaried from his left by a Trump crazy in you know the in his next election and would have been uh, run out of town on a rail. So I, mean, I hope can, can we a judge are cite him in some way. Can he be censured by the court? Isn't there something that can happen here that is short of uh, losing an election? I mean, I don't know. You know, that's an interesting thing. So different states have different rules. I mean, if you remember. Uh, the DA in um, Durham, North Carolina, was not only censured, but I think sent to jail for yes, his right, unjust for the Duke, prosecution the Duke of the Duke lacrosse team. Yeah, but that's state law. You know that 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 relates right. to. I mean, I think I can't remember what the actual charge was that had him. And I can't remember his name either, though I was once knew everything about that case. But um, I mean, obviously, there are places in which you really can. Uh, you know, do that. Um, uh, there, I, I assume there would have to be a lot of hoops that, you know, that this case would have to melt down spectacularly for anything like that to happen, where you actually have evidence internally of people saying, we don't have a case here, and Bragg saying, I must get Donald Trump, you know, like that kind of people swearing on the record that he did something illegitimate and unjust. Look, Nobody is above the law. That's an absolutely wonderful standard that nobody is above the law. And we should all accept that nobody is above the law. But saying nobody is above the law, I hope I didn't say this last week on the air, because that it really will prove that I'm going senile. But this is becoming like patriotism is the last refuge of the scound of a scoundrel. When a prosecutor, like the person who is prosecuting uh, Alec Baldwin in was prosecuting Alec Baldwin in Albuquerque for for this obviously wildly accidental, horrible thing that happened uh, on the set of his movie, said we had to do this because nobody is above the law before she was removed from the prosecution because she was violating 10,000 different statutes by having been elected to office and was clearly using this as leverage to get herself a, a race for governor in the Republican Party or something like that. When people say no one is above the law, like hold on to your wallets or like, yeah. you know, th that's when, you know, start being a prepper because that means that, in fact, what they're saying is uh, I am above the law and I'm going to go at anybody that I need to in order to enhance and ballast my reputation. And we have all kinds of norms that are supposed to control and contain the ability of people like this not to abuse their power because their power is so dominating over the life of they can take somebody's life and destroy it in five seconds and they're supposed to be prudent but that's also about what they do 
But that's also like when Alvin Bragg says that it's particularly pernicious. I mean, our friend Rich Lowry had a hilarious hypothetical, uh, a national review where he's like, what if Trump had just mugged Stormy Daniels on the street? <laughs> like if he'd mugged her. Yeah. Bragg would have. And he went through like, here's actually what Bragg does with people who commit violent street crimes and all kinds of other horrible things. You know, he processes and releases them and then they do it again and he processes and releases them. So the idea. So, of course, people are above the law. He Alvin Bragg's entire career as a prosecutor, short as it is, has proven that he has really he has not prosecuted violent offenses that lead to the death of New York citizens. But, you know, he's going to go. I mean, he's well, that's one that's potentially I mean, I, I take your point that this job is usually held for a long time. And, you know, New York is incredibly liberal. But, you know, we didn't think there would be a recall of Chesa Bodine. And, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting thing. If crime keeps getting worse and this case blows up, there is an opportunity for someone to say, I don't like Trump either, but you blew it, Bragg. You know, I don't want, you know, you're not helping well, us. Well, the, by the way, the, so the, the public opinion on this is interesting because uh, I read a, a story in the New York Post today about a, about a new poll. Plural, a, a plurality of Americans, something like 47% or something, um, think, believe that this case is political. A majority think Trump did something illegal. Well, see, which, which is which is kind of like the 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 uh, framed but guilty. Yeah, uh, framed right. but guilty was <laughs> yes, that was our that was Eli's piece for about you know about about Trump for commentary. But it is an important complexity of the polling on this that uh, people who don't like Trump. I think part of that is that the electorate that doesn't like Trump thinks that he's guilty of crimes. Right. And they don't know what crimes, but they're happy to see him being prosecuted. They don't care what for crimes. any crime. Right. And they're happy to see him prosecuted for any crime. And they it's fine with them. And it's not their it's not their field. You know, as Jackie Mason would, it's not their field. It's not <laughs> for them. What do they know? It's fine. It's like how how uh, you know they're for Jews. Food in a restaurant is their field. For Gentiles, it's not. Their well, that's field. the role that like and Norm Eisen and somebody else had some op ed the day after it came out saying we've looked at the indictment and it is strong. And I'm like, well, what role are they playing? That's not great yeah. legal analysis. Obviously, what it is is it's like for all the people who are not lawyers but hate Trump and are convinced that he committed crimes. Here's a lawyer in the New York Times telling you exactly what you want to hear. Now, don't you feel wonderful? Yeah, look, uh, it's like the same people who were like very smart on our side and the center right, who, for whatever reason, decided to sort of go along and say, you know what, there were so many irregularities with the election and kind of understand the January. So there are plenty of people who did that. And what was the point of that? It was just to make these people who wanted to believe that everything was entirely rigged feel good about themselves. Yeah, here's look, another smart guy who agrees with me. You think I don't want Trump to be guilty of yeah, this? Sure. I do. First of all, I wish that paying hush money to a porn star was some kind of violation of the law so he could be ousted from American politics and we could move on from him. Like, I am not happy to be having to be put in this position of making this argument. I have been fighting against this guy's presence in our public life from the minute 
that he came down the escalator. And actually from before that, I got to say, because uh, I've found dug up things that I said on Facebook and on Twitter in like 2011, you know, like expressing bewilderment and horror at the idea of Donald Trump having a larger political role in American life. So I would like those people who both want think he's framed. I would be thrilled to see a strong indictment of Trump uh, that destroyed him. And I am doubly horrified because it's a lousy indictment of Trump, from what I can tell, that is solidifying his position in American political life. And I think if someone said, look, you know, Biden thinks this is the guy he wants to run against. This is great for Democrats because it kind of blows up the Republican Party's possibility of moving beyond Trump, at least at the moment. And, uh, you know, Biden, it will give them clear clear sailing to November 2024. But uh, say it's uh, October 2024 and Biden falls off the stairway going down from Air Force One and rolls down and smashes his head on the pavement. Then what? Tell me what happens then. Or they're in a debate and Biden gets a phasic. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Can Trump win in November 2024? Yes. Are you playing with fire by strengthening him? What is the matter with you people? This is well, this is really where you want to go with this? And of course they don't, because of course that's where everyone goes, oh, this is only the beginning. Fonnie Willis in Atlanta, Jack Smith in Washington. Three more indictments could be coming any minute. You know what that reminds me of? It could be. I don't know. I think looks to me like the case against him at Mar-a-Lago with the documents is strong. But I thought there were the Mueller case was going to be better. And I just wrote, don't you think that you know Mueller, you know, and he Mueller. Oh, what he's let me get you. I have a bobblehead of Mueller. And here's my action figure of Mueller. And, you know, he was a war hero in the Spanish-American War. And he was, you know, and then he comes out after writing that, after publishing the Mueller report, and he comes out to give that press conference. Yeah. And after two years of Mueller, oh, you don't you say a word against that war hero, great man who was going to take Trump down, and he was, like, semi-senile. So thanks a whole lot, people, for your fantasy resistance game that that's what it is it's fantasy resistance game and we're all paying the price but the other thing is this is that when you are up against such obvious double standards such obvious like manipulation and abuse of prosecution power and abuse of the legal system that has not just this is not the first time this is that was a that was the hallmark of the FBI's investigation after Trump wins the election it was a hallmark of a lot of these things that we see it over and over again then you start to ask then you start to view Trump's vices his distrust of the system his conspiratorial worldview as virtues because at least he's not a sucker and is going to pretend that all of these people who are supposed to be stewards of the rule of law and stewards of our system are on the level when they're not, whereas those people are saying, well, we can't be on the level because Trump is such a disaster, you know? Oh, I look, I, I've said this before, but yeah. I'll just say it again because it gives right. For the for the right wingers and the, the the conservatives who broke with Trump over January 6th and over his yeah. rejection of the of the of the 2020 election. 
this case retroactively sort of lends heft to his argument there. You know, it's it's going to make a whole bunch of people think maybe I, maybe I was too hasty in dismissing Trump's claims of fraud because look at what the system has will do uh, uh, to stop him. Yeah, I, look, you made that you made that case on Wednesday. It's a strong case. The Trump we saw on Tuesday night at Mar-a-Lago, uh, again, uh, that was the end of a very, of you know, probably the worst day of his life. So I don't, I don't want to, except maybe like the day his brother died. So I, I don't want to go, you know, go, go too far with this. Uh, that guy was not capable of doing what you're saying. You think he is, but, but that is, that is a, he actually has to do this right to make that point and win those people back. But those people are still not enough in the absence of the nightmare scenario that I laid out about, you know, Biden's health or whatever. They're still not enough to get him elected president. As I think, as I think the results in Wisconsin, as Christine talked about, don't you think it's a little, it's, it's a, it's, it could be dynamic in the sense that if you see crime skyrocket and go through the roof in New York, and the case against Trump fall apart. I'm not saying that that's going to be the determining factor, but I'm saying there's a certain point where what's what's the tipping point on the institutions? When do you when do people who would never even entertain voting for Trump after January 6th look at everything else and say, you know, I think Trump's really bad, but like, you know what, the Democrats are worse. There were a lot of people in 2020, by the way, when the or cities were burning that didn't like lots of things about Trump and his handling of COVID, but probably voted for him anyway because the Democrats wanted to defund the police and the Democrats were right. even worse. It is very dynamic. That's that's absolutely right. But I want to talk about one last thing that okay. is not dynamic or is dynamic. I don't know. Uh, when was it that the the forewoman of the grand jury in Atlanta came out and like had her uh, William Ginsburg week where she went on every television show in America to talk about something she really shouldn't have been talking about. Was that six weeks ago or eight weeks ago? I'm sorry if this case in Atlanta that I keep hearing about is so strong. Where is Fonnie Willis? I do not think that is, a, I am guessing that that is not as strong a case as people are saying it is because she the, she concluded her investigation using that grand jury at least two months ago. She has had two years of fact-finding, and uh, including with this investigative grand jury behind her. She can bring charges at will, we are told, and it's not happening. So if I were you liberals, not that I think by this point any liberal is probably still listening, but if I were you liberals, I wouldn't be putting too many eggs in the Fonnie Willis basket because as I got to say, Rich Lowry said on, and I hadn't even thought of this, this is how far these things have gone, but Rich Lowry said it on the editor's podcast last week, like, Trump has free speech rights. He is allowed to call Brad Raffensperger and say, I want 11,800 votes. Like, that is not a crime. He is a human being who is allowed to say things to other human beings. Did Brad Ra And the fact that he didn't threat, if he had added a threat, even though you might say it's an implicit threat to get that phone call from the president, or it's horrifying or whatever he did, but he is, he is not held, 
he is not, I mean, he should be held to a higher standard morally, but he is not, again, you wouldn't prosecute. If I called you and said Trump needs, if I called Brad Raffensperger and said Trump needs 11,800 votes, find them, I wouldn't be prosecuted for suborning the electoral process. He has, he's a citizen of the United States. Should he have done it? No. Does it like screw up our the electoral integrity of our system? Yes. But he's also, it's like the ultimate point about what's going on with <laughs> Bragg and Stormy Daniels. He wrote this narrative in which he said there was a conspiracy to change the results of the 2016 election by killing stories unfavorable to Donald Trump. Well, yeah, Donald Trump is trying to get himself elected. You know what you do when you try to get you try to suppress stories that are negative about you and boost stories that are positive about you. You are now, Eli. You're rolling your eyes at me. Well, I'm saying I, what's amazing to me podcast. is that this these are the people who had a full court press to tell us that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. These are the people who uh, purchased um, fake allegations about Trump's collusion with Russia in a dossier, fed it to the media, and then hamstrung his presidency, and then reported it to the FEC as legal fees. Sound familiar? These are the same. And you're telling me that that's not an, a conspiracy to defraud the electorate? How is that's far? That's worse. This, if, right. if, that's worse. You, 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 what are you talking about? It's like, it's such an obvious double standard. And I, I can't understand why more people on that side of it can't see it's so clear. You know, I mean, that's the part of it. That's just if like the underlying offense is attempting to win the 2016 election, yes. that's insane. Well, it is insane. Exactly. That's insane. You are allowed to win the 2016 election, however, you without committing another crime. In other words, if he shot somebody in order to prevent them from going to the press, you know, if he if he shot killed somebody to prevent them from going to the press to, you know, to lower the hammer on him, right? That would be something he should go to jail for. But right. falsifying his ledger in 2017 so he could win the election in 2016? Am I, did we just no, you're right, change but, the logic of time on the planet Earth? No, he you're right. He commits a crime a year after he wins in order to win something a year earlier? Am I no, taking but, crazy pills? No, which is why they've also put together this claim or or sort of alluded to this claim that that he was hoping to defraud the tax collectors. But they don't didn't charge him with defrauding the tax collectors. Nor do they tell us how or anything. They just said it might be, maybe. And right, I love so the, the key, by the way, people people are like, you know, it's normal for New York State prosecutors to not give out their entire case. It's part of their strategy. You gotta understand these things. Like, you know, I'm an insider. I'm like, this is the first time anyone's ever given a felony indictment of a former president, and you haven't told us the crime, and that now, oh, that's smart strategy. Take a vow of silence for the next 25 years, Mr. Weissman. Right. So, uh, right. Ultimately, this is the point about this, which is that yeah, they didn't say what the underlying felony is, and they don't have to, according to their own 
procedures. But you right. know why? You know when they have to? When they're indicting the former president of the United States. That's when they have to. I'm sorry. You know, drop dead. Thanks very much for destroying our country with your idiot prosecution That's where exactly you have right. no idea how people are going to react to it. Yes. Like I say, I would have liked nothing better than for this to have been a slam dunk. And I like nothing less than it being a piece of crap. And you were really restrained. I remember because I was listening. You were like, let's wait. Like, I mean, it's weird that DeSantis is denouncing this. And like, that was, remember, that was the commentary yeah. conversation because everybody was like, there's no way they're going to come out with something this week. Right. It's like, okay, so somebody fed the New York Times the logic of the case. And I'm like, well, they're holding something back, you know, because they want to have, they want to deliver. They're going to want to have like a nugget of news on, you know, eat, look, New York City prosecutors are live, live in a news fishbowl. Like even they know how to make news. Like this is how Rudy Giuliani got famous. Grant, he was a U.S. attorney, not a, not a DA, but Robert Morgenthau knew how to make news. They know how to make news. And one of the ways you make news is you withhold a key piece of information while you're leaking like a sieve behind the scenes, which of course you shouldn't do with any legal proceeding right. uh, in order to have an accelerant for the day that you arrest somebody and book them and do all of that. So that was my logic was unassailable as a as a longtime uh, employee and freelancer of the New York Post. I know my business. I know how New York works and brag. I assumed that that was going to happen because that's how competent prosecutors in New York do their jobs. Is they save a nugget. And you know what? He didn't save a nugget. Maybe not because he's incompetent, but because there is no nugget. <laughs> You think if he had a nugget, he wouldn't have used it at that press conference? John, New swag opportunity. New swag. No, can I just say, there no, is no nugget. No, no jaywalker is above the law. All right. This is this is disgusting what you're doing. I mean, like this idea that Trump gets special treatment. Come on. You know that great moment. I alluded to it and then we'll we'll end here. But yeah. in, in the, the French connection. Oh, you know, picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. Ever made. Right. Popeye Doyle goes into bars, slams people against the bar, punches and says, did you ever pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? Yeah. Why? What does that mean? It's that our laws are so crazy that in Poughkeepsie, New York, if you pick your feet, you can be arrested. And Popeye Doyle's like, we can, we can do anything we want to you. So yes. you better tell me what I want to know. Because I'll just accuse you of having picked your feet in Poughkeepsie and you'll go away for six months. Right. So Bragg didn't even have Trump picking his lousy feet in Poughkeepsie. Right. Or in as I had in my in my monologue. New York State law. There had to be something that he could have saved for the press conference. The target is Frank Sabatka. You know, exactly. It's like <laughs> okay, Frank Sabatka, you gotta listen to Eli's all right. Uh re-education podcast to get that reference also a very good conversation with amber athy about her book uh the snowflakes revolt uh uh this week at the re-education go subscribe apple google play and stitcher great uh, episodes coming great episodes coming uh and for abe and christine the absent madam john Podhoritz, keep the candle burning Land 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.